0: Item number one: Jules Verne was a copycat. Most urgent news this week is an accusation, a uh, hundred and twenty years late from me, that Jules Verne is a copycat. Yo, Jules Verne, you're a copycat. Specifically, he grave robbed. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce these three words. David, is Johann David Weiss? He wrote Swiss Family Robinson. I've never in my life had a desire to read Swift Family Robinson. I don't know if it's the best book I've ever read, or I would ever read. But Jules Verne is a copycat, because of what he did with that book. And I find it really funny. Jules Verne is, of course, the father of science fiction. And by many people's assessment, he is a pretty sharp stick you know, when it comes to making up his own ideas. Which is why this news about his copying is so disappointing. And I think we uh, all should agree to cancel Jules Verne. So all of us, we're going to need to unfollow Jules Verne on Twitter, block him on Instagram, and if you have an opportunity to just send him a nasty message through Facebook, that would probably be great. Jules Verne is canceled, hashtag Jules Verne is canceled. Before you attack me for not knowing what I'm talking about, I know a lot about Jules Verne. Jules Verne wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is a book about underwater bowling. And he created an entire genre with the journey to the center of the earth, which many consider the earliest book on fracking. But this week I observed that back in 1900, Jules Verne wrote a sequel to Swiss Family Robinson. He uh, wrote two volumes, actually, making him the majority idea owner of the three-part story. If you're a Swiss Family Robinsonist, that's how you think about it. He copied Swiss Family Robinson and did two books called The Castaways of the Flag. And you can look this up. It's pretty funny. Hashtag cancel Jules Verne We can do this people We can drag him down Everybody If we just agree on this We can drag Jules Verne down Even farther than 20,000 Leagues Under the sea The first part of Swift Family Robinson It's a very beautiful book Or, uh, Well actually I have no idea if it's any good But it's a successful book try to say the guy's name again, Johan David Weiss wrote it, and I think uh, commercially it proved successful even being made into a series of tacky, over-sentimental family movies. Or at least that's how they're advertised, because I haven't seen them, I've just seen that there's a Disney movie, or maybe there was another one. I have no idea how Swift Family Robinson evaded me my whole life, although there's always been a familiarity of it right around me right now. it's uh, That's just funny just to think of that book because it seems like a meteorite <laughs> kind of out of orbit. Everyone knows it, but no one really encounters it. So that's where Jules Verne decided to, t- to do a two-volume sequel to that book in 1900 is pretty interesting <laughs> and funny to think about. Where was he in his career at that point where he wanted to do that? Verne's sequels which very much exist, are an interesting story about appropriation and creative intent, even show a kind of nostalgic, playful side of Verne that he's making a creative go on something that might have been, you know, a childhood era book of his. That's the difference in time. I think it's 80 years. So as a young boy, Jules Verne very much might have fallen in love with, uh, keep on. This is not a joke. It's just it falls out of my head. Swift Family Robinson. I had to turn the page over. I can't remember it. Uh, Swift Family Robinson. Mispronouncement alert. Just realized I've been calling it Swift Family Robinson. I uh, imagine the uh, Swiss Family Robinsonians in the audience are probably uh, kicking their head every time they hear it. There uh, is no Swift Family Robinson. Uh, yeah, so I've been goofing that up for, uh, this whole piece. Swiss Family Robinson. Shows you how much I care about the book, but there's plenty of people to get in line to care about Swiss Family Robinson, for me. I am sure uh, Mr. Weiss has no problem with that. Um, Vern's sequel. The castaways of the flag you'll find a copy to read online at gutenberg.org which has lots of free books, mostly uh, public domain stuff, but there you will see a complete version in multiple formats of the castaways of the flag and um, man, it's raunchy, it's probably uh, Jules Verne's most obscene work there's a whole flag scene very, uh, very disgusting But it's mostly useful as a reference. I'm joking about the obscene moment. Um, (laughs) uh, It is mostly useful as a link if you want to make fun of Jules Verne and call him a copycat. As I am doing right now. Very uh, truthfully though, Jules Verne was said to be a huge fan of uh, of Weiss's Wisses. (laughs) Johan's original book and the sequels can be perceived as an honorable regard to a guiding influence. At least he did not call the books Swiss Family Robinson 2 and Swiss Family Robinson 3. Headline item number two, let's prank a bird. If you are near an ocean coast of some sort, specifically near the Pacific, there's a chance you might have Pacific oyster catcher birds nearby. Scientists have found out that the maternal instinct of these birds is only matched by their competition in such a way that their eyes are literally larger than their ovaries. This is completely true, and a prank you can completely do. Um, Perhaps once uh, you're allowed back on a beach. I'm sure all the people protesting loudly about their right to beach is because they want to go hang out with the oyster catchers. And nothing about their free constitutional right to be lazy on the sand. But the thing with the oyster catcher is that once they lay an egg and begin to nest, here's what you can do. You can take a watermelon and paint it to be speckled identically to an oyster catcher egg. So that might take some practice. But if you do this convincingly well enough, the bird will happily ditch its own family. Or its own family in the making. You know, its children that it's uh, laying upon and hop onto the watermelon. The mother will completely ignore her own egg. The comedy here is that a watermelon is substantially larger than an oyster catcher egg. Like, I think like four to five to maybe twenty times larger than a oyster catcher egg. And so, size matters, I guess, according to oyster catchers. And their own vanity they're probably so excited about a beautiful giant baby baby bird that they don't even realize the absurdity that uh, goes into sitting on a watermelon 20 times larger than the egg that they've been sitting on maybe four or five minutes before. I uh, don't expect you to do this, but I'm sure the other oyster catchers will likely find it very funny, and maybe this is a good way to get in good with the uh, the larger oyster catcher group. It's my uh, cynical perspective, but I don't like groups, and this is an example that groups always want to see good eggs, not succeed. That's an egg joke. Finally, this is quite fun, for our last, final headline of the week, uh, we have ice cream on TV is often mashed potatoes. Thought I'd uh, enjoy ruining part of the illusion of television for you, particularly in the black and white era. But I think it still is done. If you ever see an ice cream scene, particularly one where everyone is eating and enjoying some ice cream, they are very often eating potatoes. The answer as to why is easily explained by the hot lights on set and the multiple takes. And, you know, think about how long ice cream lasts for you when you make it on a plate and starts melting immediately. So that would be uh, impractical. But we need ice cream scenes. Damn it, you know. So science discovered that an ice cream scooper into a vat of mashed potatoes looks pretty much like uh, ice cream when you dump it out on a plate or into a cone. You uh, you need something that won't melt. So a big cone of mashed potatoes can stay on set all day, all week, really, without ever melting. So that beautiful scene where two lovers share an ice cream sundae or even that Twilight Zone in the first season, where a guy goes back in time, and the first thing he thinks about is the malts were so good when he was a kid. When he uh, takes that dive into a sweet, chewy confection, he is actually chewing on mashed potatoes. Mmm. It's uh, kind of fun to rewatch those scenes, especially with kid actors. No matter how good a child actor They cannot fake this. They haven't had enough life experience to learn about lying about ice cream. And they are really, uh, you can see it in their eyes, you can see a little sadness where they're smiling. They're really not enjoying that mashed potato sundae as much as they would if it was tasty milk cream and vanilla. I understand sometimes meat gravy was used to at least match the chocolate with the vanilla. But other times, to make sure it looked like chocolate sauce, it's real chocolate on real potatoes. A friend of mine also tells me that uh, when I told him about this, he uh, mentioned, well, you know, uh, blood in black and white movies was actually chocolate sauce. Because it matches the viscosity. A A lot of murder going down with chocolate sauce and potatoes. And, wait, I'm sorry, I should say a lot of murder going down with chocolate sauce blood and uh washing it down with tasty uh ice cream cones of uh, mashed potatoes so enjoy you are very welcome now that you know this